Well, we're happy to have uh, in our services today Brad and Julie Lay and uh, their children. Uh, Brad and Julie, along with their children, are laboring for the Lord in Albania. And Brad is teaching at the Southeastern Europe Theological Seminary, where he, along with others at this seminary, are uh, seeking to train up uh, the first generation of Albanian pastors uh, this is like an incredibly strategic uh, ministry and developing uh, these men to both plant churches and to take existing churches. This is a country that for decades was under atheistic communist rule. And uh, with the collapse of the atheistic communist regime, the door has swung wide open to the gospel And people like Brad and Julie uh, have uh, been led of the Lord to take advantage of this open door of opportunity and to bring the gospel uh, to this starving uh, country. In addition to teaching at the seminary, Brad and Julie um, are involved in discipleship, Bible studies and personal evangelism at just about every opportunity. So. Their ministry is a a wonderful ministry, a God-ordained ministry. We as a church here at Cornerstone are privileged to be able to um, have the privilege of supporting them uh, in their ministry. And we're also very blessed to have them in our service with us this morning. After the second service, there's going to be a reception in the modular building. There will be a lunch provided. We would encourage you guys to stick around uh, for that where Brad and Julie will be giving us a, a, a more detailed update on their ministry and give you the opportunity to ask whatever questions you might have uh, about uh, their ministry. So that's after the second service in the modular building. But we've asked Brad if he would come uh, this morning and open up uh, the word to us. So, Brad, uh, why don't you come and let's give our brother a warm welcome. Well, good morning. It's always a joy to come back and worship with you and share what God is doing in Albania and and share also in the Word uh, with you. Uh, Just to give you a a little bit more of a visual to what we're doing. Our family, my family is not here for the first service. They'll be here for the second service so you can look at the picture and see them. Uh, And I'll get this coordinated here. I'm not used to this. this it, I don't know if you know about the mirror being up here. It's, it's an interesting concept. So, as Milton said, we're working in Albania. And uh, I'm going to have to just turn it on, I think. Church planting leadership training, as he mentioned. And Shiparia is how it's pronounced and how it's said uh, among Albanians. That's what they call their own country. We call it Albania. Just to give you a kind of an idea of where it's located, that's uh, Europe, and you can see the black, the blackened out country, that's where Albania is. And another view of it, a uh, satellite view, it's pretty easy to find once you know where Italy is. You can find Albania, you can just grab onto the heel. Some of you have seen this before, but some haven't. So this, uh, some of these pictures you've uh, might be familiar to you. Some facts about Albania, besides the ones that, that Milton mentioned. It's a small country, as you can see. 
three and a half million people uh, by background, 70% Muslim, 20% Orthodox, 10% Catholic. And still at this point, only about three out of every four out of every uh, thousand people are evangelical. They have their own language, Albanian language and democracy. As Milton mentioned, a wide open door, freedom of religion. We can do pretty much everything we want to do uh, in, in terms of church planting and training. And it's really a, a beautiful country, mountainous, ancient country. Here's some. These are my own photographs. There are more beautiful ones. These are just uh, amateur photographs of some of the castles and mountainsides. 70% mountain mountains. That's actually Randy there, Randy Thompson, my father-in-law. This is overlooking the capital where we live. Some more sites. It's on the coast, the Adriatic coast, as you notice in those pictures, the, the map and the, and the uh, satellite view. This is to the south of where we are. We walked in there one time just completely uh, free and uh, just available for exploring. And here again is the capital where we're ministering. One third of the population is here in Tirana. They're moving to us. Some more. These are professional uh, photographs. Here's the center. You can see the minaret right there to the left, kind of left corner, upper corner there. A lot of thunderstorms. As I mentioned, Albania is 70% Muslim by background, but they're atheistic. And you can see minarets everywhere uh, from the Middle East. Missionaries have come and poured in all kinds of Muslim-based uh, funds and building uh, mosques all over the country. But Albanians don't take religion too seriously. We'll just stop there for a moment. As I share about the ministry, I'm going to be sharing some more along with the message from God's Word. And I'm going to be mentioning uh, really the role of every Christian, every Christian, I emphasize that, in worldwide evangelism. And these are going to be from this passage, Colossians 4. Verses 2 to 6, if you haven't opened there. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. There's really just two main roles that every one of us is com are commanded by God, everyone is commanded by God, to be involved in. This is our role. Every one of you that's a believer, doesn't matter how mature you are in your faith, we're all called by God to be involved in these two basic Duties, these two essential aspects, elements, fundamentals of worldwide evangelism. They're very simple. In verses 2 to 4, this is just an overview. Pray. And then verses 5 to 6, preach. Really simple. Nothing new. Probably every one of you would say, you know, Brad, uh, 
I was kind of expecting something a little bit more novel. Uh, this is really simple. It is. It's simple. And what I want to do is, I'm not informing you about anything new. And every one of us know we need to pray. Everyone, every one of us knows that we need to share the gospel. Every one of us knows that. But I want you to imagine this situation, this scenario. Imagine a little boy who's an orphan. And he has nothing except for three shiny pennies that someone has given to him. And these three shiny pennies have captivated him and he holds on to them. They're his treasure. They're everything he has. And he loves these pennies. He takes them out and he plays with them and he looks at them and is so excited to have them. And uh, a, a, a billionaire comes along and says to him, uh, listen, I have, if I can explain this to you and, and have you understand this, I have a check here. And maybe you've never seen a check, but I'm, I have this check and I'm, I, want to, I want to give you a million dollars. And I'm writing it here on this check. And what you need to do is you need to leave, leave your three pennies there and come with me and we'll open up an account and I'll deposit this money into your account. And he's trying to explain this opportunity, this exchange to this little orphan boy who has these three pennies. And it's very difficult for this little boy to understand and to grasp. And in a sense, that's what, that's what I want to share with you this morning. It's not so much the duty which you have before you. You know that. But what I want to share with you is the, the amazing exchange that God has for us. Why don't we pray and why don't we preach as much as we want to, as much as we know we should? It's because so often we're focused on some, something that distracts us, a variety of things that distract us from doing what God has called us to do. But what I want to do is I want to uh, encourage you, not so much place before you the duty, but to encourage you. This is what God our Father is offering to us. He's offering for us to be enriched beyond what we can imagine. So keep that in mind as we look at this passage, as we look at these duties and what God is calling us to do. He's saying, I want you to leave aside, set aside what you're focusing on. And as Milton said, and we've, we've felt this as well, what has happened in the world, the economic downturn. What God is doing, I think, is He's turning our eyes away from what we're focused on so often, our shiny pennies. And He's saying, look what I'm doing in the world. I'm offering you amazing riches to be involved with. So let's look at these verses and keeping with that in mind, looking at these commands. The first one, verses 2 to 4, is to pray. The first one is to pray like we've already seen. Devote yourself to prayer. That's a command. All right? And let's break this down. Devote means to attend constantly, to adhere firmly, to be faithful. You remember the, the disciples in the 120 disciples in the upper room, they were devoted to prayer. Do you remember that? Before Pentecost. Then when Pentecost occurred, 
the Holy Spirit comes down, nothing really changes in terms of their devotion. They're continuing to be devoted to prayer, Acts 2.42. This word prayer is a gentle word, very broad, and it includes worship, it includes confession, it includes petition, it's both private and public. It's very, very broad, very broad. So what Paul does is he gives us this command, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he gives us two characteristics, two characteristics for for this command. How are we to pray? How are we to be devoted to prayer? And the first one you'll see, what I've called is watchful thankfulness. He says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You remember when our Lord brought the disciples into the garden the night before he was betrayed, uh, and the night before he was crucified. And he told them to watch and pray in Matthew 26. They were sleepy. He was telling them, stay awake with me. I need you during this hour. Stay alert. Pray with me. And then also this word is used when our Lord instructed the disciples to stay alert because we don't know the hour of his coming in Matthew 24 and the parallel passages. Then also, perhaps, as we look at a, a parallel passage, Ephesians 6, 18, Paul uses a different word for being alert, but he says, be on the alert. It's a similar concept. In, in light of the spiritual warfare that's going on around us and within us, we need to be alert. But here in this passage, as we look at these verses, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul doesn't tell us what the context is. Is he thinking of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is he thinking of and conveying to them in the midst of a spiritual battle, you just stay alert? He doesn't say. He just says, keeping alert. And I think as I began to reflect upon this and and thinking about prayer and, and the nature of prayer, Maybe what he's conveying here is that when we pray, what is true prayer? It has to be alert. Because what are we doing? We're really experiencing an awakening, aren't we? It's like we've been sleeping and we're suddenly awake. What are we awake to? In terms of worship, we're we're awakened to the glory of God. We're able to see by faith God and His majesty and His worth. His worthiness to be worshipped. We see that maybe before when we weren't praying, we had that theoretical knowledge. Yeah, we would never deny that God, God isn't worthy of worship. We'd never say that. Yeah, He's worthy of worship. But in prayer, when true prayer happens, we're awakened to the reality of God and His worthiness of worship. And, and then we're able to see ourselves. We're awakened to the reality of our condition. Who am I? Before, what was I doing? I was exalting myself. I was so self-centered and so self-focused. Now I see I'm so insignificant in light of God and His greatness. And I have so many sins to confess. And we begin to see sin within. We're, we're awakened to that and we confess our sins, wanting to be cleansed. And at the same time, we're, our eyes are open to the, to the needs all around us. And we begin to pray for others. Do you see what I'm saying? We're awakened to that. Prayer has to be 
uh, has to have an awakening aspect to it, an alertness to it, if it's true prayer. And he says also, though, he adds an element, he says, with an attitude or with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. It's repeated seven times in this, in this uh, book. And it's a, it's a common theme of Paul. And he, al- he almost always started out with thanksgiving in his letters, doesn't he? He's telling them how thankful he is. And that's because people that have experienced grace are thankful. And we're going to be looking a little bit more at this word grace. But the word thanksgiving and grace are, have the same core. Grace is in thanksgiving in the original language. It's almost like we'd have to change, the, if we could change the word in English, thanksgiving, to include that word grace. We'd ha- we would hear that connection. And isn't thanksgiving the response of grace? When we realize, as we sung these beautiful songs that just explain so clearly God's grace to us, when we realize I, was, I had earned God's wrath, and we know that, and we feel that, and then we realize by faith He took His wrath that was destined for us, and He placed it on His Son. And in place of that, we get everything that our Lord earned and deserved. That's all in grace. How can we not be thankful? Anyone who believes that will be thankful. And anything that falls short of that denies that grace. So watchful thankfulness is the first characteristic of how we're to be devoted to prayer. Praying with this watchful thankfulness. The second characteristic is what I've called intercessory missions. Intercessory missions. He says praying, in verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. And you can see how this coordinates with, with the, the fact that we're missionaries and I'm going to be sharing, showing you some slides of how you can actually participate in this. And I know that many of you do that. Many of you are praying for us and praying for other missionaries. And I want to encourage you to do that all the more, to share in what God is doing and to share in His riches. Intercessory missions. Praying at the same time for us as well. As you're, it's the same word here, as your eyes are being opened, as you're becoming alert, awakened to the glory of God and His worthiness to be worshipped, confessing your sins, praying for yourself, praying for others in your church, join, join that with praying for us. Be aware of what is happening on the mission field. Have your eyes open to that and be praying for that. What are you to be praying? How does, what does Paul say is strategic? How can you pray for us, pray for missionaries? He says that God will open to us a door for the Word. Really interesting. Not that, not that God would open my prison door so I can be free. Not that God would change my circumstances, but that wherever I am, God would give, him, give me an open door for the Gospel. An open door. An opportunity. I need that. I need you to pray. You know, this is, as as I've reflected on this, this is just amazing. Because if you know anything about the Colossian church, they were struggling. They weren't a very strong church. 
they were beginning to question the deity of Christ. They were beginning to consider worshiping angels. They were beginning to water down the pure gospel of grace and add works to it. I mean, this church, is, this church here is not a healthy, strong church. And yet, what Paul is doing is very, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's astounding. He's saying, the progress of the gospel through me depends on you, humanly speaking. God has so arranged, he, again, he's, he said, I want, to, I want to share my riches with you. I want you to join with me in what I'm doing I'm going to be using Paul and I'm going to take your prayers and I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change individuals. I'm going to change families. I'm going to change cities and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your prayers. And if Paul could say, I need your prayers to the Colossian church, how much more you as a healthy church and for us in no way... uh, and in any way com- comparable to Paul, how much more do we need your prayers? But listen to this. This is what he says. That God will open up a door. That's the first part. And then he says there's a next, there's a next element to that. He says, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Really interesting. We may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul uses this word, and we're just focusing on these, these verses, but if you look over, if you want to, to get a grasp of what Paul is talking about. Chapter 1, 26, in Colossians, he says, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. So there's a mystery that's been revealed what is it? To, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in 2.2, 2, chapter 2, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's tried to unveil to them, to explain to them, what God has offered to them in Christ. The mystery has been, it's been concealed and now it's revealed in the New Testament of what God is doing for us through the gospel and through the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's offering to us. Amazing riches, this mystery of Christ. And he says, back to verse 3 in chapter 4, for this, for which I, I have been imprisoned. In other words, I think what it means is, this message was so amazing, so of such great value, Paul is saying, I don't care if I'm in prison. It's worth being in prison for this message. It's an honor to be in prison. And this is the end goal of your prayers, he says. Pray for an open door that I can speak the mystery of Christ. And then he says that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. 
This has just puzzled me. If Paul doesn't know how he ought to, ought to, to preach the gospel, who does? Right? And he's saying, my ability to preach it like I should depends on you, this struggling church. Colossians. That I make, make it clear in the way I ought to speak. You know, in Ephesians 6, uh, 18 through 20, he specifies how he, wants to, how he ought to speak. He ought to speak with boldness. He says it twice. But it's interesting, here he does not. And the Colossians didn't have Ephesians, necessarily. They might have had the, the letter at some point. But they have this letter, and he doesn't tell them exactly how he, how he, should, how he ought to speak. How he ought to make it clear. I think, just ref- reflecting on this again, and reflecting on the book, Paul is so, uh, he's so amazed. He's in awe of the, the, the riches that are in Christ, the glory of the gospel. And he's, he's, he's understanding how, when he preaches, how he ought to communicate that. And he's tried to convey that to uh, the Colossians as well. What, is, what, what the amazing riches that are in the gospel. Isaac Newton said this as he discovered you know, how God had made the natural world, physical laws. He says, I was like a boy playing on the seashore and di- diverting myself now and then, finding a smoother pebble or a prettier, prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. He was saying, I, 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 basically, when he was discovering the law of gravity and discovering these physical laws, even though it was an amazing breakthrough at that time, he's saying, I know, I'm just on the verge. I'm just beginning to understand. I'm like this child, you know, looking at pebbles, and there's a vast ocean. And I think that's how Paul felt about the gospel. There's so much more for me to understand. And how can I preach this message, this wonderful, amazing message, in a way that's, that, that is fitting, honorable to the gospel and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for me that I will be able to convey this in a way I should. You know, and in light of this, in light of praying, in light of praying this way, praying watchful thankfulness, intercessor missions, many of you have been praying for, for years for missions. Uh, some of you, it's a new concept. But those of you who have been praying, and we meet people that have been praying for Albania, some of them praying before I even heard of Albania, some, some of the older saints praying for Albania before I was born. And at that time, it was a closed nation, completely closed. And they were praying fervently, praying in faith. And it's almost like, this is how I see it anyway, and I understanding through the eyes of Paul, it's almost like we're riding the wave of the prayers of the saints. And if you've ever watched, uh, if you ever watched those yacht races, you know, when they race, their sailboat races on TV, I've only watched brief sections, but I've always been amazed at this, this team of, of men or women that have everything synchronized. They know their, their task and they're running around and they're, they're, everything's in, in perfect mo- movement. 
just all synchronized together. And, you know, that, that's what is required to make that, that boat sail through and win the race. And they have to have that perfectly uh, synchronized. Otherwise, they'll lose the race. But what happens if there's no wind? What happens if there's no wind? We have a team now of six couples. And it's amazing how God has put this team together. And we're gifted in different ways. And it's like, it's so wonderful to see that team and, the, and to see how we are learning how to work together, how to complement each other. And God has, has blessed us greatly. But what we're waiting for, and sometimes I, 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 I think that what we're really lacking is that wind, the Spirit of God to move. That we're working hard. We're, we're, and, and certainly we can grow and be more uh, tireless in our efforts. But unless the Spirit of God moves, and that's where you come in, praying, praying for us. And that's, that's our, our blessing of being involved in what God is doing in the world. Just to give you some, some specifics of what God has done in these ten years since we've been there. You can see in our family, when we first went, Justin and Joshua... And about uh, 10 years ago now, in December 12th, and now, 2008, 10 years later, here's the church in 1999. When we first arrived, I remember the first Sunday, there were seven of us, and two of us were missionaries. In 1999, here's a, you can see how much it had grown in a, in a little over a year. As a meeting in our in our home at that time, and 2008, nine years later. It's a few pictures. We have three services, and every every once in a while, about every month, we rent out a bigger room where we can all meet together and have one combined service. Church planting. There's never been an evangelical church in Albania that's been led by Albanian pastors. Never. This is the first. These the first years when that's been true. And then, in terms of training, these are the first Albanian seminary graduates. These five guys, uh, four of which are in our church and continuing to receive training to be equipped for the pastorate or for church planting. Uh, these five guys are the first generation. They were able to uh, earn their, their uh, Master's of Divinity in three years. And here we are praying for them that they would be used by God they're the, they're the ones that are going to lead the church. And here are their names. Zeph, Lenzi, Gensi, Florina Street. So that's how you can be. You can be praying for us as we plant churches. You can be praying for us as we train men. Just in general. Now, let's move on to the next section. Preach. Where Paul says in verse 5, 
Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And when I say preach, I'm just using that because prayer and preach is something you can remember on Thursday. You know, when you've forgotten everything. Uh, on Thursday, you remember those two words. At least to, to stir up your hearts. To be involved in what God is doing. To receive His riches that He's offering. And to take part in the amazing kingdom advancing that God is doing. And we get to play a role. The command is, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Uh, This conduct or, or walk or live... Speaking about your life, and you've heard this probably before. Uh, this is the idea. Um, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words with your life. But then the focus is, as we'll see, on our speech. But look at this. This is really interesting. And I was talking with Milton. It was, it's, it's neat and providential how God dove dovetailed this with, I didn't know anything about this series in, in December that's coming up. He dovetailed this with the series, the whole, the whole theme. Investing eternal, internal, eternal investments. This phrase, making the most of the opportunity. You might remember it from Ephesians in the parallel uh, book where Paul says, make the most of opportunity and he adds, for the days are evil. Making the most of opportunity, the word is to redeem. And the idea was to rescue something from from loss. Something was going to be destroyed, was going to be of no value, and a person comes along and pays for it, buys it, and rescues it from loss to make it of value. Galatians 3.13, and Ephesians 5.6, use it, 5.16, use this term. But for the most part, it talks about redemption, what Christ has done for us. We were lost and he saved us. And here's the idea is that we can do that same thing, making the most of opportunity, redeeming the time. And I think what the picture is here is that moments go by, right? And what happens to the moments if we let them go in their default mode? We're just letting moments go by. We're living life just without any thought of the fact that each moment is precious, we let that moment goes by, and what happens? It's loss. It's not invested for eternity. It does us no benefit for eternity. It does no one any benefit for eternity. It's lost. And so the idea is, you're watching those moments go by, and you're saying, the way I can be wise toward outsiders, toward unbelievers, is recognizing that every moment is precious. And it's like you're, you're grabbing that moment before it's lost. You're seeing the preciousness of time and you're rescuing it from being lost in terms of time. I was, we spent uh, Thanksgiving with my, my father and his family and they're all atheists. It's always interesting. Uh, a number of atheists and then here, here we're, we're the missionaries. It's a very interesting mix. And I realized how much I need to learn about this. The moments, those precious moments are going by. 
And I, I might not have another opportunity to spend, to talk about what needs to be talked about. And we need to recognize the preciousness of time and rescue it from loss before it's irretrievably gone. That's wisdom. Wisdom, it's like the idea of being alert. You're aware of, you're aware of the preciousness of that moment. And you're rescuing it. And so positively, what does that mean? Each moment can be invested for eternity. You can grab that moment. You can use that moment for the glory of God to your eternal riches. To be involved in what God is doing. To receive from Him His riches. And so the first element is investing eternally or eternal investments. The second one, as you see there, is grace speech. Grace speech. That's really what it is. Let your speech, speech always be with grace. It's just the word grace. It's an interesting phrase because this is the only time it occurs in the, in the New Testament where you have speech or wor- your word and grace in the same phrase. So it's difficult to understand exactly what Paul is saying here. But I think what he's saying in light of what he's talked about the riches that we have in Christ. And this word in verses 1, chapter 1, verse 2, verse 6, 3.16 and 4.18, he uses the word grace several times in those verses, each one in each verse. And I think what he's saying is that when we're aware of how marvelous God's grace is, when we've recognized what we deserve, and what we received. And we're thankful. That's going to come out in our speech. It's not so much that we're trying to have gracious speech. I've got to be kind with my words. I've got to be forgiving. I've got to be a nice person. It's not so much that as grace has to fill us so it comes out in our speech. That's the idea. And so what does that mean? So we're thankful, like he's already mentioned. No complaining. We're not critical. We're patient. We're kind. We're forgiving. We're truly humble. And he says always. So that's always to be the case. And yet, he says, as though seasoned with salt. Really, having been seasoned is what is communicated in the tense of the verb. So it's like this. It's like someone preparing a meal in the kitchen and then bringing it out and it's already seasoned. And I think what is being conveyed here is that you've been spending time in prayer, linking it back with the first command. You've been devoting yourself to prayer. You've been praying. Your eyes are opened up. You're filled with wisdom from above. You're understanding what, who God is. You're gripped by that reality. You're, you're gripped by the reality of the gospel. And you have the ability then to communicate, to, to speak grace and then to do it with salt, to have truth there. Your mind has been filled with the truth. You're convicted by it. You're convinced by it. And that comes out. The salt is the truth. Colossians 1.6, very beautiful phrase there. He, call, he says, the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth. Speaking about the gospel. It's the grace of God in truth. I think that's the idea. We're to be speaking the grace of God 
Words with grace, in grace, with in truth. So just as a summary, real briefly, what is God doing again? He's saying, my child. He's saying to us, leave aside your, your, your pennies and receive my riches. Join with me in what I'm doing in pray, by praying, by being devoted to prayer. And by living your life in such a way, as a reflection of that prayer, as understanding grace, that you're communicating the gospel. You're living the gospel, you're communicating the gospel. And so what is God, what is God doing? He's saying, this is my equation, my divine equation. Prayer plus preaching equals transformed individuals, transformed families, transformed cities and transformed nations. And so with that, I I close with this. Please pray for, and some of you remember this. It's not a new, new one. Pray for good luck. All right? Will you pray for good luck? This man here is named, his name is, means good luck. Fatmir. And it's an older picture, as you can see, uh, by the, We have four now, and they're bigger. Uh, But pray for this man. He's the former defense minister. He's an active politician. He's had some difficulties in politics, and I think he's gonna he's gonna be one of the one of the main leaders, I believe, in the future. He already is, but he's gonna he's gonna continue to rise to the top, probably. But anyway, I was sharing the gospel with him the day we left. Another opportunity. God, people were praying. I had an open door. And, and, I, and I, I think I grasped what Paul was talking about. Because this, this illustration came to my mind where I was able to, to, to get a sense of the wonder of the gospel and what God was offering to my friend Fatmir, to my friend Good Luck. And I came up with that illustration. I said, we're like children focused on our little pennies and we're unwilling to give those up when God is saying, I have, I have riches that you can't even imagine I want to give to you. And it was like chills went up and down my spine because I was gripped with the reality, the wonder of the gospel. So pray for this man because, like I said, if prayers and preaching, God's equation for transforming individuals families, cities, and nations. If a man like this becomes a believer, that can alter the course of a nation. And yet God is, God's opened that door. See how wonderful our God is, our Father, what He offers to us to be involved. I am unworthy. We're all unworthy. And yet He says, Nevertheless, in my, in my wonder, wonderful grace, I'm giving you this opportunity to be involved in what I'm doing in the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we say with the disciples, teach us to pray. Teach us to strive 
in prayer until we're really praying when we really see you. By faith, in our mind's eye, we see your glory and we worship and we see ourselves in our sinfulness and we confess our sins. And we're praying for each other and we're praying for what you're doing in the world. Oh, give us a sense of the glorious riches that you offer to us to be involved in what you're doing. I thank you so much for Cornerstone. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for their commitment to missions. Thank you for their support. Please continue to bless this church that they might grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. People said, Amen. Thank you so much, Brad, for opening up the Word and and your life and your ministry to us uh, today.